Downtown Productions in cooperation with Zone Radio presents Downtown, the podcast. From the historic Zone Radio studios, here's your host, Rich Kimball. Hey, hey, welcome in. Yes, it is Downtown, the podcast. Episode number 195. Brought to you every week by Cross Insurance, where security meets strength. And we'll tell you about our guests in a bit, but exciting news right up front, which is that for the first time in, I don't know, what, six weeks or so, uh, Carrie Haskell, you've been working producing the podcast from home, but mm. here in the studio for the podcast for the first time in forever. It, it feels like forever to me, and uh, it's uh, it's been good to be uh, back in the studio for a while. Uh, Carrie had a little surgery, but uh, is frankly a medical marvel. <laughs> Recovering faster than science believed possible. <laughs> Soon we'll be doing cartwheels down down the streets of town here. That, that would be <laughs> that would be beyond a medical miracle <laughs> if I can get a cartwheel out of me. Now we were chatting about your uh, cane slash walking stick, uh, mm. which it has some functions uh, in getting you around while you're yes. wearing a boot. But uh, you have actually turned this into a multi-purpose tool. I've I've been using it for uh, many things. I, I bought it more as an ornamental piece on a trip to the uh, the Smoky Mountains, uh, but it has come in very handy. It's it's my picking up stick. It's my walking stick. It's it's you know beating off a bear stick oh, yeah, if I needed yeah, it for yeah. that. Getting Jeffrey your cat to move off the couch. <laughs> and, oh, no, you never do that. Just say the word and Jeffrey would respond. Because of his undying love for you. Well, uh, <laughs> on the podcast this week, a couple of fun conversations. A little bit later on, uh, one of the great voices of rock and roll, one of the most distinctive voices, uh, talented singer, songwriter, musician, Bill Champlin, was with Chicago for nearly three decades, uh, wrote and sang on some of their very biggest hits. Also, his band Sons of Champlin, and a, a very cool event coming up soon, a new album to talk about all that with Bill Champlin a little bit, little bit later on. But up first, she's one of our favorites here on the podcast and on our radio show. You know her best as actress Roz Doyle for 11 seasons on Frasier. But uh, she got a lot of things going, some uh, some new projects in the works as well. We talked about those and a whole lot more when Perry Gilpin joined us. Hello there, Perry. Hello, Rich. How are you? Just great. <laughs> I'm so glad I'm one of your favorite people. In the world, like top three all time. Come on now. Oh, that's awesome i mean i'm the mother of two 17 year olds that don't like me at all so that is really nice <laughs> wow when did that start because i've got a little guy who's eight and i'm wondering and there are days when he, he's just annoyed or bored with me but but at what point will he decide that i don't know anything at all i don't know it, it sneaks up on you and with boys i think it's a little different than girls but um um maybe that'll never happen with a boy i don't know I don't know. I don't think it has to happen. But it definitely <laughs> happens here. <laughs> I, I can't imagine two 17-year-olds. I, I deal with 17-year-olds as a teacher, but I don't have to have them in my house. <laughs> well, they're all, you know, they're great. I just do annoying things. So it's it's got to be me. But honestly, <laughs> they're they're really different and they're great. And and you, you know, I I just have I am obsessed with politics. And I and then we don't have to talk about it, but I, I'm just obsessed with what's going on right now. And I and I want to see the big picture. I don't. I'm not like 
it's, I'm not dyed in the wool. I'm just interested in what's going on around us. And I, I was about to tell my kids something yesterday, and her, her, her guy friend was standing next to her, and I go, uh, are you from a conservative family or a liberal family? Or, you know? And he looked at me, and he goes, well, kind of, you know, I'm, I'm more, I think my family's more uh, liberal. But, you know, and my, my daughter said, I need to speak to you in the other room. <laughs> oh, man. You cannot ask people that, and you cannot bring your politics into my, and I'm like, Okay. Okay. I got you. I got you. You're right. I didn't mean I was, what I was going to tell her was something that had to do with college. It wasn't even something political, but anyway, it was just something that I thought I, maybe I just won't say anything in front of this kid. Cause I don't want him to think she's got a crazy mom. Oh, no, who would, <laughs> nobody would think that now I, I, are, are they interested in at all in what's going on? Cause one of my concerns is that the, the world seems so crazy that I, I can see a lot of teenagers just saying, Man, everything involved with politics is just, uh, it's awful, and it's a waste of our time to pay attention to it. I don't know. I mean, like, I was reading all this stuff today about, uh, on uh, Twitter, about, you know, how uh, Neil Young and Joni Mitchell are the establishment, you know, and I'm like, <laughs> that's really weird. <laughs> you know, excuse me. I, get, I snorted. I mean, that is really weird that now Neil Young and Joni Mitchell are the establishment because they actually said, we don't want to be part of something that we don't believe in. You know, it's just so weird how it all gets turned around. And um, and I think I think it might be a little confusing for kids, but I also think that they take social media with all the grains of salt that we should all mm. take it with. Right. Well, I agree with you completely on that. It, it's an interesting time, though, and, and people sometimes understand uh, just enough about how things work to be dangerous. And I'll hear people talk about, well, that's you can't tell Joe Rogan or whoever that that's free speech. Well, look, free speech just means you won't go to jail for the things you say. It doesn't mean there will not be consequences for your actions. Yeah, and and that. The, the other part of this is, I mean, I was telling you earlier when we were talking, I listened to The Daily this morning. It's a really good one uh, where the guy that hosts it has an hour with Fauci. And anything the guy says that Fauci says, listen, you just got something wrong and you can't right now. Anything can be taken out of context because I just want to clearly say this. And it was like an hour of just the details of what they're you know, what they're thinking now based on what they're seeing and leaving things open for what they might see later. And that's what I don't understand is why people are expecting answers when how could anyone know? It's, you know, we have to do this all together and work together. And, I mean, our country went to the moon. We went to the, we built the Panama Canal. I mean, I, we've done so many amazing things together. And it's really um, sad that we can't get on the same page. And, and I don't know what happened in, in terms of science. I mean, you're younger than me, but when we were in school, people worshipped science. That was the, the highest calling. And I think part of it was uh, we wanted to win the, the race to the moon and all of that, but we valued the opinions of people in science. And I don't know how we got to this point where we just flat out have a segment of the population that doesn't trust science at all. I don't know, and 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 like and Bush was George Bush Jr. was obsessed with pandemics, and he was terrified of them. You know, he's the one that set up a lot of the CDC, the 
the the ways to avoid it or the ways to handle it. Obama stopped Ebola in Africa through you know the medical corps, and he put up, you know he had the, the the cancer. I mean, I'm sorry, not the cancer panel, the uh, pandemic panel mm. that was completely you know broken down or, or by Trump in his administration. So I just this is also a guy that told people to drink bleach, you know, as a, so I think it feels, it feels like it was kind of purposely or deliberately, um, the confusion was deliberate by an administration that I don't know why they wanted to make us distrust science. I don't know why that was done, but I don't know who that served, but it certainly didn't serve us. That's for sure. You know, and what Fauci was saying now is that, you know, we, yes, one day it might be like a cold, but right now we still have 2,200 people dying a day, you know, and and we still have all these cases coming up. And so we have to, you can't treat it like a cold yet. (laughs) It's just so, it's just bizarre that people can't see that and understand it. Absolutely. We're talking with Perry Gilpin here on downtown. Well, let's talk about some happier things. You were telling me uh, that you shot a pilot recently. What can you tell us about uh, what I was doing while you were breeding? Well, I'm not, okay. I'm not sure what I can tell you. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> but uh, but um, I play the mother of the lead and the, and it's just a really great pilot. Um, it's a great story. This, woman named Kristen Newman is a writer. She's a sitcom writer and has been for years and has worked, you know, worked on great shows like How I Met Your Mother and The Big Bang Theory. And, you know, she's got a lot of experience in sitcom, in sitcom writing. And so she plays a sitcom writer or this Chelsea Frey actually does, uh, plays her. So that's the lead character. So in the hiatuses, you know how we always talk about our hiatuses? <laughs> <laughs> There's a big one. Like we, you know, you go to work for a few weeks and then you take a week off. And then it's like usually three and one, three and one, three and one, because the writers need that hiatus week to catch up. And and then and then after what it, you, with Frasier, it was like 22 episodes. But now most shows, especially ones that are not on network television might shoot like 10. So you don't hear that name as much anymore, but back when she was, when she wrote this, a book about this, she would take her long hiatuses and instead of try as a lot of women writers do, that's when they try to have a baby or that's when they try to, you know, get things done like that. Cause it's hard when you don't know your schedule. She would go on, these big vacations and have blasts and meet men and, you know, party and (laughs) just do everything that she couldn't do while she was working. So that's what it's about. And it's, it's really mainly, it's like a travel log, you know, it's, she loved traveling. She loved the, the, you know, just kind of jumping into other cultures and really having a great time getting to know the people of the place where she was. And, and so she wrote a book called What I Was Doing While You Were Breeding. And then she, now this is the, it, I think it became really popular during the lockdown. I think people ordered it and read it and it became a big, big deal. And so now she's made it into uh, a TV show and for Freeform. And um, it's, 
you know, there are scenes in it that I've never seen on TV before, you know, but it, but I have seen in real life, (laughs) (laughs) you know, (laughs) and I, I really like that. And I think Kristen's a really wonderful writer. So it's interesting. Now there used to be, I know there used to be pilot season. Does that, does that still exist anymore? Or is it simply a, you, you create a pilot, you send it to people you hope are interested and then hope for the best? I, I don't know. I, I mean, I think there really is a pilot season still for network just because everyone's still on that. It almost mimics the school season, mm. you know, um, you know how they, cause everything, uh, premieres in September, you know, and then right. ends kind of in the summertime. So I feel like it has to do with that, but that's less and less because shows, you know, shoot all year long. Now they, they premiere all year long. Um, so it's, but I still think the networks are kind of on that schedule. So there is definitely a pilot season, but then there's also stuff that goes on all year. Uh, you're also going to be on an upcoming episode of a terrific series. Kevin can go F himself. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's right. I'm going to play her mom, Patty's mom. I'm very excited about it. I haven't gone to shoot it yet, but I'm going to go in a, so, you know, I don't know if it'll stay the same, but right now it's pretty interesting. It's such a great show. Oh, it's, it's wonderful. And thanks again, too. I was so glad that you got us together uh, with Siobhan Fallon Hogan, and we had a great time talking with her about the movie Rushed. You were so good in that, and uh, I know there was there were even some buzz that was being put out there for potential awards as well, but regardless of what happens there, what a wonderful movie and so many strong performances. Yeah, I think it's, that's one of those movies that, you know, I think, like the other day I was, at lunch and a friend of mine said you've got to watch mr in between you've got to watch it have you ever heard of this i have not no okay we i came home and said to my husband okay cindy says we've got to watch mr in between we have been obsessed we can't believe we haven't heard of it we can't believe we haven't seen it yet it is so good it it, it, it's it's you know it's it, it you'll see what it is immediately when you when you start watching it. So it may not be everybody's cup of tea, but I swear, I, I can't imagine people not loving it. And it's just so well-written and it's so, it's so psychologically interesting. And I think that's what's so great about Rushed is that there's something for everyone in it, but it has an amazing message, you know, that you can really dig into and think about. And it does ask you to, change the way you think about something and a lot of people don't want to do that but it makes a really good point mm-hmm. you know and so i and i just think i think siobhan did such a great job and her just to get it made was so it just took you know real determination and she did it she's making another i think they just finished shooting a second one and i just i kind of love that she just she raised her children. She got them up, you know, through almost through college. And she went, okay, now I'm going to go back to what I love doing. And she really did. <laughs> All right, I'm reading online here about Mr. In-Between. All I had to see was British crime drama. And uh, I know my wife will love it because anything British, she loves. It's not British. Oh, it's not? It's Australian. Oh, oh, wait. No, it's Australian. Oh, so there's a different one. Well, there are two Mr. In-Betweens. Oh, I see. Oh, black comedy oh. Crime drama. Okay, good, good, good. 
Yes. And, um, yeah, the, maybe it's based, loosely based on the English one or something. I don't know. But it is, it's so good. It's so good. Oh, it's on FX. All right. Well, I've got to check that out yeah. then. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I everyone does. I always try to bring up uh, something you've done in your, your terrific career. And I don't know that I've ever asked you about the wonderful voiceover work you did on King of the Hill. Oh, yeah. That was fun. <laughs> Do you, I love Mike Dud. He's great. I, I I was so thrilled to you know he did two of the writers from Fraser were on Beavis and Butthead with him from the very beginning, and they worked with him a lot and they talked him into coming on. So you know he played. I don't know if you ever remember this episode of Fraser where we had to all do a like a harassment, a sexual harassment, <laughs> the training, yes, seminar, yeah. <laughs> Mike Dud played the guy that did that. Oh, God. The, oh, wow. And we were so, like, thrilled to have him on the set. But he's kind of incognito because you might not know exactly what he looks like, you know. So it was really great seeing him. And, and it was great working with him. And he was really funny. And I just kept thinking, I'm, I, that's Hank. That's Hank Hill. You know, <laughs> I just love it. But um, then I, when I started going and doing it, I got to play. I actually played several characters. And I could not believe what an amazing job Kathy and Jimmy did as not, even though she's not from Texas, like she really, really, and I am from Texas. And I thought, I thought whoever's doing this is a, is very authentic. And I was surprised to see it was a woman from San Diego. <laughs> <laughs> now, do you, I've talked to a couple uh, actor friends lately about doing uh, self tapes, which a lot of people uh, have to do these days rather than auditioning in person. Uh, have you had to go through that process or, or are you just at the point where people go, we need Perry Gilpin. We know what she can do. No, I am not at that point. Well, I do. You should be. <laughs> and oh, you're so sweet. Um, I no, I do self tapes a lot, and it's just been a very interesting, uh, um, you know, learning experience because you know, if you've worked a lot you know that someone's going to do your makeup. Someone's going to step in and go, wait, 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 she's got a hair in the She's got a, you know, her makeup's messed up. She's sweating, whatever. We got to powder her. The light's not working. The sun has changed. The light's moved. You got to move the camp. You know, there's 500 people doing all this stuff that makes it look right, you know, and, and you, you're just supposed to do your part. Because, <laughs> you you know, my husband always says, why don't you have a mirror with you? And I'm like, because that's, then you're going into like a territory of you're thinking about the wrong thing, you know. But I think that with self-tape, you know, you, you, if, you, if you're trying to do it on your own camera or you're trying to do it yourself, I, I, it takes me hours because I am so, I keep seeing the light change. I keep seeing things move. And you know, you're kind of in your own board. You're by yourself. You know, like mm. you're, you're, you can really get caught in a lot of stuff that makes it overwhelming. And I know people that say that they do it and they've, they, they've mastered it. And I really thought during COVID that we would all master it, but it kind of just got more and more confusing to me. <laughs> but, but they're fun to do because, you are working. I love auditioning because, you know, it's, it's like acting, it, you know, and you're playing with something that 
usually you there's you're never going to do in a million years or you know it's the only way you'll ever do that part is to just delve into it in an audition situation and so they've got their I don't see much difference between it and actually going in and, and preparing a scene and going in, mm-hmm. driving across town and going in and meeting somebody. It's all the same amount of stress or, or whatever or joy or frustration. But it, technically, it's interesting. Have you done one? Oh, God, no, no. I, that would be – I'm so self-conscious about that. It's hard enough to audition, you know, when <laughs> – especially if uh, – I think the last time I auditioned for anything, they had asked to, to it was for theater, and, and can you bring in bring in a, a dramatic monologue and a comedic monologue? And I would just obsess over what's the best monologue. So if it were just me and no one to tell me, hey, straighten your shirt, fix your hair, whatever, it would be a disaster. Right, right. And I, I when I was in New York years ago, I somehow I got to go in and be a reader for somebody. I can't remember what the circumstances were. But I read with some really, really well-known actors of the time, and watching them do things that were uh, so successful in the room, and then I've and, and and I've also produced a play and saw this then too, and then watched people do things that just shot themselves in the foot. You mm. know, I I I think casting directors are dying for you to do a great job because. If you if they can cast this part and you're it, then they can move on to the next thing or be finished, you know. And so they're not. But I think it's really easy for us as actors to think that no one's on our side, right. you know, and that we're up against the world, and we're really not, you know. But um, you know, I I have done everything from like spray my hair gray because I thought a gray hair would be better, and my agent told me if we go, just do it. You're let them worry about the aesthetics. I'm like, but I, I, I think this part should have gray hair, you know. So, and so, you know, you, you, when you're on your own, you can so easily be kind of get a little amateurish, I guess, is what I'm saying, you know, but because you're trying to solve all of these problems and, you know, half of them you would never ever be asked to solve. By the way, I thought of you the other night. It was channel surfing, and, and an episode of The Monkees came on, and Bobby Sherman was in it, and that immediately made me think of you. Oh, my God. Why? Didn't you tell me that you had a you had a little thing for Bobby Sherman when you were young? How did? Oh, my God. I just can't believe you remembered that. I, I was so in love with him, I wrote him a letter and asked him to marry me and everything. But then I told you he came on Frasier, right? Right, right. So that was really interesting because, you know, I got to meet him as an older person. <laughs> and he was so nice. He was so, such a nice guy. He had left the business and he, he was an EMT. And I think he, at the time he'd given birth, he like helped birth two babies and he had one of them named after him. And, you know, he, he had really changed his life and had a whole different thing that was going on. But he was very, very, very nice. Nice man. So uh, you'll, you'll, you'll appreciate this story. I had a thing as a, as a teenager uh, watching Macmillan and wife, I had a thing for Susan St. James. And then back, I uh, maybe seven or eight years ago, I was at, uh, I was at an event and I looked at a table across from me and Susan St. James was sitting at the table all by herself. And I said to my wife, I, I got to do this. I have to. And I walked over to her and I said, uh, I, I'm, 
Sorry to bother you, but my 13-year-old self would never have forgiven me if I didn't come over and introduce myself. And she was so wonderful, she said, my husband has, has gone to get a drink. Now's our chance to get away. <laughs> yeah, it's nice when it's nice when the people that you uh, you thought highly of when you were young turn out to be good people. Yeah, yeah. I've met her once at a Super Bowl game that we all went to. Like, like all the I think NBC was hosting it that year, and like. The cast of ER and the cast of Frasier and all these casts were together at um, one of the producers of Frasier had a house in Arizona where it was in Scottsdale and David Lee and he was had a party and it was like David Lee gave the Super Bowl party of the year like Susan <laughs> St James was there Don Olmeyer her husband I can't remember I know I need to uh, Dick Ebersol <laughs> Dick Ebersol and um, you know, just all these cats and all these people were walking around. It was it was very glamorous, very very glamorous. The night I met her, <laughs> she's Dick, very nice. And Dick Ebersol was great too, because yeah, he came back and I told him the story. He said, "Well, I'm I'm just glad I met her first, because clearly you had a shot." I guess. Thank yeah. Well, we can't wait to see. We'll keep uh, watching for Kevin can go bleep himself uh, when you're in that. And we'll keep our <laughs> eyes open for uh, what I was doing while you were breeding. It is always so great to catch up with you, Perry. Thank you for making a little time for us today. Of course. Thank you, Rich. It's always great talking with you. Always so much fun. Thank All right. You. Good luck with those daughters. I don't care what they say. You're very smart. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> you are too. Well, thank you. My son probably thinks otherwise, but but that's all right. I know. No, your son, one day he will know, and mine will too. <laughs> all right. Thank you, Perry. Be well, and we'll catch you again soon. Okay. Bye-bye. Thank you. That's Perry Gilpin here on Downtown, the podcast. We'll pause for a word from Cross Insurance when we return singer Bill Champlin up next on Downtown. Since its founding in 1954, Cross Insurance has grown from a small family-owned agency that started in Bangor, Maine, into one of the largest super regional insurance agencies in New England. With the network of offices throughout New England, Cross Insurance works with top carriers to provide maximum value to you, your family, and your business. We are proud to be the official insurance broker of the New England Patriots and would welcome the chance to provide security for your team. For more information, visit CrossInsurance.com. Cross Insurance, where security meets strength. Well, you called me up this morning, told me about the new love you found. I said I'm happy for you. I'm really happy for you. Number one song for Chicago. Our next guest wrote it and sang lead on that as he did with other big Chicago hits like I Don't Want to Live Without Your Love, Hard Habit to Break. Also wrote the huge hits for Earth, Wind, and Fire, After the Love is Gone, George Benson's Turn Your Love Around. A long, terrific career in the music business and still going strong with a new album called Living for Love. Bill Champlin joining us here on Downtown, the podcast. Hey, what you doing, Rich? What's happening? Oh, I'm so excited for this show. It sounds absolutely great. And I have to ask you, that there were those people in the business who thought initially 
people calling that music yacht rock was was maybe maybe uh, not saluting the music, but it seems like you guys have embraced this. Well, you know, I mean, it's it's yacht rock now. It seems to be it's, it's pretty much the same music that two years ago they were calling West Coast music. Right. So it's it's. I just look at it as kind of it's just another name. It's kind of it's like you got your license plate and then you got your little the little frame around your license plate and that's one that one says yacht rock on it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, like that. <laughs> well, it's great music. Uh, we know that. And this looks like a, a terrific show. How did you end up getting together with uh, Stranger and Friends, Frankie Previtt, and everybody involved in this? Well, a friend called uh, uh, Ken from uh, from iHeartRadio. He gave me a call and said, hey, what do you think about doing this? I said, well, let me look. See, look at my calendar. See, I said, yeah, it seems like it could be. It could happen. You know, I mean, if it, if it was put it this way, if, uh, if, he, uh, if the airlines treat us right. But I'm going in a couple of days early. We're going to have a full day of rehearsal and uh, i'm bringing Tamara with me my wife and uh, we're going to sing some stuff together and uh it's going to be a little different different than the than the normal here they are here's here's this guy with his songs here's this guy with this song we're gonna gonna shake it up a little bit it'll be fun well you know about doing that Uh, you've sung on seemingly everybody's records through the years (laughs) for a while there it seemed like there was an awful lot of work but that was when there was an awful lot of records being made it's not quite quite the same anymore well, you, Everybody, you know, everybody's doing all their vocals and stuff at their house. So it's not a studio <laughs> thing as much. You know, everybody has everybody in L.A. has a, a Pro Tools rig over in the corner, <laughs> Logic or or one of those one of those platforms. You know, it's all ones and zeros. You know? uh, exactly. <laughs> like that. Well, you've also got a new album out to call "Living for Love," and uh, man, it's terrific. Uh, uh, the title song is great. There's so many good songs in there. I think my favorite song in the album is "Hey." Hey, it's pretty cool, isn't it? I like the solo on there, especially Tal, Tal Morris, a friend of mine. He played with the Suns for a little while, quite a few years back. And I said, man, I, I hear Tal on this. So I took a drive and drove up to his studio up in Marin County, and he knocked off knocked off a solo for me. And he's a, he's a monster. So it was really kind of fun. And uh, Tamara and I and Gary Falcone wrote the song together. So uh, it, ended up, it ended up being a good one. That was one of my favorites. Yeah, Losing Ground is a great song, too. It's uh, very bluesy. Yeah. Yeah, good old twelve eight. It'll do the trick, and it's great because we got Abel Boreal Senior to play bass on it, and that was wow. that was a really fun thing. To do. Not bad at all. We had uh, I think Gordon Campbell played drums, and Greg Matheson played organ and piano and stuff, and I played guitar. Who, who's that weighing in in the background, Bill? That's I think that's the Rocky. <laughs> Rocky Road. He's he's my co-producer. He's on all my records at one point of this. Wants I his voice to be I, heard. You know, I usually I usually sit in front of the in front of the thing. It used to be I'd have to stand up to sing, you know, like everybody does. Then I realized, well, wait a minute, Ray Charles, Stevie Wonder, Elton John, Billy Joel, they're all sitting down at a piano saying. So I just sit at the at the board uh, and punch myself in and out and stuff like that. And usually I got Rocky sitting on my lap, you know. <laughs> so he's, I always just consider Rocky's my co-producer on all my stuff. He's a Papillon, he's, a, he's he's been around for a few years. He's, he's, he's one of our pals here in the house. Well, you've been making great music uh, for so long. Uh, back to the Sons of Champlin. Uh, what what led you into this this life that you've been living now for, gosh, uh, more than six decades? Well, I, I'm, I'm, very good. I'm not very good at doing anything else. <laughs> <laughs> you see, I'd pump gas, except I don't know which kind of gas this car takes. You know, and they don't have they don't, that job isn't open anymore. I don't make very good coffee, so I can't work at a Starbucks. So that kind of leaves me right where I started. So I just keep doing, keep doing it. And, you know, I love music. I mean, it's just, 
it probably keeps me as young as I can be for as old as I am, you know? And, uh, you know, I mean, I've, I've, I've been kicking pretty hard actually since I left Chicago, which was in 2009. So I've been, I've been making a lot of noise since then. Uh, great success. Late, albums. late 70s, early 80s uh, as a songwriter with a huge hit for Earth, Wind & Fire that you wrote with friend of our show, uh, David Foster, Jay Graydon. Yeah. After the Love is yeah. Gone. Did you write that specifically for them? No, that was actually written for my record. And at the time, we cut a, we cut a demo on it. It was nice. We had it on a, how was this? We had it on a cassette. And David happened to be catching a gig uh, playing piano for Maurice White for Earth, Wind & Fire. I think he's playing on September or one of their tunes. And uh, they were rolling the tape back. The back of it, once again, shows you, you know, you got to kind of wait till the tape rolls back. And he just was, you know, kind of tickling at the piano. And he's playing the, playing the song. And Maurice came over and said, what the hell is that? And this is the song me and, and Jay and Bill are, are doing for Bill's album. Want to hear it? He said, yeah, I'll take a minute. So he took the cassette into the booth. And uh, Maurice heard it. Once he says, if Bill will agree to not release it on his record, we'll cut it. And uh, David <laughs> asked me about it. He said, this could be a really good thing for all of us. I said, yeah, you know, I'm in. Let's do it. You know. And then David played him the rest of that album, the single album. And he said he wanted two or three more songs, you know, if I could do it for the same thing. And I went, hey, man, I'm all my, my whole album's going to end up being an Earth, Wind & Fire song. So I, I just stuck with uh, After the Love. I wish I'd have done, so, you know, sold them the other two because it all went on the I Am album, and that was one of their biggest albums. Yeah, won a Grammy Award for you as well, and then a second Grammy mm -hmm. a few years later for uh, a great song you wrote again with Jay Graydon and our friend Steve mm -hmm. Lukather uh, became a huge hit for George Benson, Turn Your Love Around. Yeah, yeah, George is cool, isn't he? <laughs> oh, man. It's weird because the, the song was co-written by the three of us, you know, that's, you know, Jay Graydon, great guitar player. Steve Lukather, great guitar player. Me, guitar player. <laughs> you know, I play guitar and keyboards. And I play okay, but I'm not, I'm not the world, I'm not in the, at the level that those guys are. But we were all playing, you know, we wrote the song for probably one of the world's best guitar players ever, is George Benson. So it ended up being a real cool thing. Actually, we, you know, ended up, and then I ended up stacking most of the vocals on it, doing the background stuff. You know, turn your love around. <laughs> that, <kind of> <laughs> that was all me. <laughs> We're talking with Bill and Champlin. Some of, some of the record was with me and, and Carmen Twilley at the Net Cloud. We did a few things together there, and then I, the choruses I pretty much stacked. So George is cool, man. He, he's a really good guy. We end up spending a, nearly three decades with Chicago, but but am I right that when they first asked you if you were interested in joining the band, you, you were a little reluctant to step in and fill the shoes of the late Terry Kath? Well, I, I didn't quite understand what the gig was. And I think a couple of days after Terry passed away, I got the call, hey, the, the, this this gig is open with Chicago. I said, you know, I play guitar, but not, not I can't I can't do that. You know, and I didn't realize that they they could that they would they had already hired a, a, a ringer to play guitar. I didn't realize I thought it was actually the guitar chair. And I went, I'm I'm just not that good. I'm you know. Uh, I, I, you know, it was, it was intimidating. So I, I passed it along to a friend, uh, you know, Carmen Grillo got a shot at it and, uh, and he pretty much almost had the gig until Dacus, Donnie Dacus came along and Donnie was, uh, was really cool. He knew every backwards and forwards, every part of every song they'd ever released. So, I mean, he was a pretty much of a natural for that gig. So Donnie got in there. He did well. He's great. 
Well, you had great success with the band. Uh, hits like Hard Habit to Break, uh, number one songs, uh, I Don't Want to Live Without Your Love, Look Away. Well, what was the whole experience like being part of uh, really an American musical institution? Well, you know, it started off as it was really the horn, a horn band, and it was all kind of about the horns. But then at some point of the game, before I was even there, at some point of the game, Peter started raising his head. You know, I mean, first it was sort of Robert, Robert's tunes that were kind of running it and making it go forward. And then, uh, and then Terry was always in, the, in there. I mean, when that guy sang, it was great. He's a wonderful singer and one of the best guitar players. It was Jimi Hendrix's favorite guitar player. Mm. And then... Uh, and then, uh, and then Peter started to, to really, you know, come up, come to the ball game with with some stuff, especially with "If You Leave Me Now." So that kind of put him in ballad land. And at some point, they kind of reached a point where they were kind of in a slump. And and uh, and you know, I was working; they were just kind of hanging. It wasn't really doing very much. And I and I did a gig with uh, just a, uh, I was just doing a background vocal for a friend's demo that Danny Serafin was producing. And me and Peter sang. Peter Cetera sang together on the demo. And, Wow, David, you know, I mean, I was, you know, I kind of didn't want to do the gig because I kind of had a cold and so did Peter. But we still, when we started, we started singing together, the people in the booth were going, oh my God, dig this boy. <laughs> so we got, we, you know, we jumped into it right away. I mean, Danny called me and said, we want you in the band. I said, I'm, I'm not a side man. I don't do that. He said, no, no, we want you as a, as a full member of the band. So I, you know, thought about it for a little while and said, yeah, okay, I'm in. See, see what the guys think, if everybody's cool with it. Well, so it ended up happening. I ended up doing I had a knocked off a good 28 years hanging with those guys. Well, people certainly I'll recognize. Figured, hey, I'll, give this, I'll give this four or five years to see what it's like, <laughs> which is usually the lifespan of a band. Sure. <laughs> not not those guys. I think they're in their 60s, probably 50, at least 50, it's a little more than 50 years that they've been doing it. People recognize your voice from the Chicago hits, certainly, but uh, to a whole lot of folks, they know your voice as uh, the guy who sang the theme from a great TV series in the heat of the night. Yeah, yeah. That was a, that song was written originally for the movie Ray Charles sang it, and it was written by uh, Quincy Jones and Marilyn Bergman. And uh, and uh, and I'm not sure whether Marilyn's partner was was involved in the in the writing of that particular one, but Marilyn I think just passed away just a little while right back. a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, really really good songwriter. She wrote. Tons of great stuff. I mean, it was really fun to do it. And I was just on a break from the road playing a gig with my wife, Tamara, uh, who's doing a gig at one of the clubs around town. Really cool place. It's no longer there, like just about everything else. But uh, a place called Sash, and, and this guy, Chris Page, came up and says, hey, you know, we're doing this this TV show with, with uh, Carol O'Connor, and, we're, and, we're, and it's called In the Heat of the Night. It's kind of based on the movie a little bit. And uh, we need we need somebody to sing it, and everybody in town's taking a shot at it. You want to try it? I said, Yeah, I'll give it a shot. See what's going on. I got a week. I got nothing to do tomorrow, so I went in, knocked off the vocal, and I got a call back after that. You're on. You got you got the gig. <laughs> it's been on. It's been playing for I think 35 years on in people's living rooms. It's oh, yeah. great. I love your yeah. solo work through the years too. Now, despite my best efforts, because as a as a young radio guy and music director, I'm, man, I played the heck out of Tonight Tonight back in the early '80s, and I couldn't I couldn't get to be as big a hit as I thought it deserved to be. I, I, you know, sometimes there's there's always it's just a fluke fat factor on on hits. No matter who you are, there's always something just lucky. You, every once in a while, you back into the right place and trip over the right thing and 
there you are. You're on the you're on the charts. It, and it's I think it's I've always seen it like that. It's like you're, it's just luck. I think more than anything else. No matter how good the songs are, I've I've sung on so many great singles. Some of them didn't even get released. Mm. You know, albums that didn't even get released that are just wonderful records. And you're going, why this thing should be at the top of the of the AOR charts right away. And it, you know, somebody at the record company decided they didn't like it. You, you never know. I mean, like I say, it's just it really has always been a matter of luck. There's always something in there. You know, maybe maybe the wife of the head of the record company really liked it. Something as stupid as that can sometimes be the be the the beginning of a hit, and, you know, it gets enough push to where it goes over the top. Do you still write on so, a regular basis, Bill? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, after I finished my album about a year ago, I kind of went into, because uh, uh, I've done two albums in a row. We did uh, Wonderground Record, which was uh, me and Tamara and a, and a very close friend of mine, great guitar player and singer named Gary Falcone, and we kind of had a bandish kind of thing that we did. And it was a little more of a rock thing, leaning more toward uh, Gary's stuff called Wonderground, and I think the album title was Bleeding Secrets uh, with Wonderground, and then on the heels of that I was, you know, sitting around we, we started to write maybe the second record for Wonderground, and I was sitting in the house, and I was just kind of fooling around with the guitar, just coming up with the with the chords and the melodies for uh, Living for Love, and Tamara, Tamara walked in and said, what's that? I said, well, I got a verse and a chorus, what do you think? So I sang it, and she went, oh my god, Bill, you gotta do a solo album, it's been 10 <laughs> Over ten years, it's time to get into doing a solo album, and we were all locked down. It was it was you know pandemic time, so I went well. It's, it beats watching diners, drive-ins, and dives all day long. <laughs> Although I love the show, <laughs> you know that ain't gonna you know. I mean, just sitting around watching TV and and eating bonbons ain't gonna help anything. So I kind of went to work during that whole period of time, and kind of didn't notice that that we were locked down, you know. Only thing that kind of got me was that usually when you finish working all day, sometimes you want to go out and have a have a you know go out to dinner or something. Mm. That wasn't happening for no. a while there. I mean, California locked tight as a drum. Well, the new album, new album is great. You sound better than ever, and this weekend will be terrific. I Heart Sweetheart, the Dayton Masonic Center, uh, coming up on Saturday night, a Yacht Rock tribute to the 80s with uh, Bill and Tamara, Stranger and Friends, Frankie Previtt. Uh, going to be a great time. And then uh, after the show, you can go to the website at wewillyachtyou.com for videos and pictures and more information. Bill, I've enjoyed your music for years. Thanks so much for being cool. with us today. One thing, let me just run this by. If if you if you can go to i or go to iTunes uh, to hear the record or to, or to download it or whatever, uh, or or if you want to if you want to do a CD, we got a beautiful CD package. Just go to BillChamplin.com. You got and, it, uh, and check it out. It's a really good album. People should really hear it. It sure it's is one of those that I'm pretty proud of. Anyway, hey, thank you for having me. Thanks for. Uh, Help us push in the show. We're just trying to get get some folks out there and have some fun with it. That sounds great. Thank you, Bill. Appreciate it. Great. Thanks a bunch, buddy. See you soon. That's Bill Champlin talking with us. The new album called Living for Love. And our thanks to Bill and, of course, to Perry Gilpin as well. And thanks to you for visiting with us this week. We remind you that Downtown is brought to you by Cross Insurance, where security meets strength. For Kerry Haskell, I'm Rich Kimball. See you next time here on Downtown.